Oh, hi there. It's Crystal here, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK. And the shower scene in Starship Troopers made me queer. Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and personal moments that shaped us. Each week, I will interview a special guest that will bring a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wildcard that helped them understand, accept, or embrace their queerness. Fab! A little note on this podcast before we continue. I use the word queer a lot here. For me, it's a fabulous umbrella term which encompasses the gorgeous entirety of the LGBTQIA community. And it's a community that I'm trying to show the richness of with this podcast. For me, the word queer is a brilliant way of saying not straight. But this word may not feel right for you, and that is totally okay. You can feel free to substitute mentally any word that makes you feel gorgeous. And also, just some food for thought. Gay was originally used as a slur before it was reclaimed and became the norm, and people have been reclaiming queer since as early as the 1910s. The more you know. Anyway, on with the show! My guest this week is a bona fide queer icon. I can honestly say their music is one of the things that helped me embrace my queerness. First, as the frontman for iconic band The Scissor Sisters, and following up with a successful solo career, their second solo album is on the way. Jake Shears is a queer heartthrob and hero, and I'm honestly so honored that he made the time to speak to me for today's episode. It's so cool. I have to warn you, however, that this episode was recorded while I was deep in Northern Ontario filming some TV, and you know what? The Wi-Fi was not it. So unfortunately, about four-fifths of the way through today's episode, the hotel Wi-Fi just gives in. She's had, en- she's had enough. She's had it. And our recording gets rudely halted. Sadly, this is the world of remote recording. But thankfully, we have most of an episode for you, and I promise it's still a great one. So thank you for your understanding. Okay, with that disclaimer taken care of, here's Jake Shears! Hi, Jake! Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, uh, you know, going into, going into this next part of the year. Gorgeous. Um, before we get into it all, um, can I just ask how you identify and what your pronouns are? I identify as uh, gay, and my pronouns are he and him. Gorgeous. So, yeah, you were just saying to me before we started that you're off to Iceland. Something exciting, or can you... Yeah, no, I'm going to Iceland to go work on music for a few weeks, and I've never been there. Always wanted to go. Um, You know, it's just been like a dream of mine to go there, and the people I'm going to go work with are... uh, There's a producer there that I've been wanting to work with for years and years and years, there's a singer there named John Grant who uh, mm. is, you know, is brilliant. And we've been phone friends for a long time and uh, have never actually met so in person. So we're going to be hanging out and uh, I'm really looking forward to it and hopefully get to see some yeah. nature and make some good music. 
Gorgeous. Is this going to be for a solo project or are you working on something for John or? No, I'm just about done with the second record. I'm d- yeah. It's just uh, the second solo record's uh, like in the can. And it's not totally in the can yet. There's still some more work to do on it this summer, but I'm very, very, very excited about it. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's all, it's all written already. So the stuff that I'm going to be working on there is almost kind of like gravy. So I feel really, it's, I'm just excited to go with no sort of stress or uh i'm mm. very happy with ha- what the record's sounding like now it's just like a dance record through and through um, ah, and it's just a amazing. lot of fun there's nary a ballad on it uh, okay yeah it's time i mean it's what that's what we need after the year we've all had we just need dance floor bangers i think so i think so. music to party yeah. too yeah yes yeah, so i'm super excited about it that's incredible um your last single was melt down is yeah. that kind of the direction yeah that i mean that's that was definitely sort of the first sort of st- it was my 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 mission statement almost or sort of my like mm-hmm. statement of intent as far as what was going to be coming forward and then i've got it there's a new song coming out very very soon it's not going to be like one of the pop singles it's sort of still i'm like putting out kind of a little bit dl a little bit of the weirder stuff you know would never actually get to put out as like a proper single because everybody would fight me on right. it so it's like other right. weirder stuff i'm just kind of like putting out while i while i still can i can't wait to hear it um and you've also got a single out right now with boys noise which has the yeah. most incredible video i have ever that seen that video is so <laughs> wild um yeah alex rita is uh is boys noise and we've been collaborators for a long time and I love him very much. He's German and just an incredible producer who I have just so much respect for. And we're still, yeah, we're still making stuff. It's so fun to put this song out together, and it's doing very, very well, which makes me really happy. I think it's, Yay. I think it's the most radio I've gotten in a long time. So that's, that's Ah, cool. that's so fun. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Well, should we get into the things that made you queer? Sure, yeah. So I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to an episode before, but um, every week... Uh, I have a guest on that brings a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wild card that were kind of formative in their queer development and helped them understand or embrace or discover their queer side. And you've sent me a gorgeous list of things, and um, I can't wait to get into it. Cool. Yeah, me too. Music. Okay, so up first, um, you have said... Your album, which is the B-52's Cosmic Thing. Now, before we talk about the B-52's, just set the scene for me. Where in the world are we? How old are you? What's going on? I was, like, going into this kind of Christian middle school in Mesa, Arizona, which is, like, all pretty pretty bleak. Um, wow. I sort of grew that up half on an island up in, up in uh, the Northwest. I was, I was sort of jumped back and forth between the Pacific Northwest and, you know, the armpit that really is mesa arizona um (laughs) so yeah i just gotten into this uh you know i was kind of scared of public school just because i was like a little bit weird and like you know my mom and i found this like really small uh kind of you know podunk christian school uh for me to go to and i really it was pretty great i mean my class was just like 20 kids i was sort of able to be somewhat of myself without like Mm -hmm getting too, you know, pressed or, like, bullied at the time. Um, so, yeah, so I was there, and I'd been listening to, like, you know, it was pop music was, 
sort of what you're fed at that age and sort of stuff that's like really popular on the radio. And it was, I mean, it was like, it had been, I mean, it was like new kids and, mm -hmm. uh, Millie Vanilli. I was crazy about, I remember like Richard Marks, like right here <laughs> waiting for you came out. Um, you know, just kind of these, you know, they're great. They're all great records, but, but not necessarily, there was just sort of, I was following the stuff that was being fed to me. Very commercial. Very commercial. And then when Love Shack came out, um, it was like the first thing I'd really heard on like pop radio that was like a pop hit um, that was weird. It was like mm -hmm. very gay, like Fred Schneider. Mm -hmm. You've got Fred Schneider's voice who's, you know, he's big queen, um, super fun. It's party music. Uh, the video is like there's all kinds like of folks in the video uh it was just this like party that you wanted to get invited to and it was just like the first thing that made me uh that i just sort of got very like excited about and like sitting here rubbing my boobs while i'm saying that like very, very <laughs> <laughs> um, <It> literally is <laughs> um, you know, I was just so excited about it. And I, I remember I just couldn't stop singing it and I would just annoy kids on the, you know, outside, like during lunch and just be like, you know, singing in their faces. And I remember I performed it at the Arizona State Fair and got the album and I loved the record. And then also just as a side note, Delight's World Click came out soon thereafter. And then that was like a real one to punch for me as far as like, mm. the, and it's funny because if you look as far as formative years go, if you look at those two bands, if you look at delight and B 52s, I mean, it just, I ended up modeling my own band in certain ways after, you know, these, uh, these acts that, and these legends. When you sent that album, something definitely clicked. I was like, Oh yeah, I really see the connection between the B-52s and the Sister Sisters, but it's not something that I would have I would have naturally put together because I guess the sound is different, but, like, the makeup and the chemistry and the the components are all... Yeah, yeah I, the, I totally the, see the connection. The mission and, like, there's still with, you yeah. know... And then I went back, of course, and discovered the rest of the B-52s music and, um, you know, was just really obsessed. And I, I, I just always loved the, like, the the party feeling of it and the good times but also they had like you know some stuff that was very you know had a poignance to it and a soul and you know ricky uh cindy wilson's ricky wilson cindy wilson's brother uh passed away of aids um right before they put up bouncing off the satellites and uh you know all that stuff that whole story of the band really um you know affected me and I really connected with it. And, mm. you know, if you would have told me then that like, we'd be like touring with them and like hanging out. And like, I remember before I ever, the first night I ever met them, I got taken to their 25th anniversary concert at Irving Plaza. Um, and I just lost my mind. I couldn't believe I was there. I was like, I must've been, I must've been 21 or 22 or something in New York, but just, uh, they had Yoko Ono come out and do, um, rock lobster and you know and i still i still follow them i still go see them whenever they play i'll go to you mm. know i'll go to the morongo casino you know outside of palm springs to go see like their mm -hmm. casino shows which are you know fantastic um i love them very much and they've really like made yeah. a, a deep mark on me 
Love Shack is one of those songs that I feel like is more, it's like queer coded. It's very much like a mainstream hit that every straight person in the world knows. But like, there's also just something a little bit, a little bit queer kind of under the surface. And I didn't, I didn't know that song until like I was older. I think it was probably like I went to a retro club night and heard it for the first time or something, Mm. or like heard it on the radio. I was like, what is this? This feels like, and then, and then you're like, oh, this band is really speaking to me in this other way. Was, was RuPaul in that video? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually got to go visit the land. I think they had had to tear that particular little building down, but I actually went to where the location where that was filmed in upstate New York. Um, it, it, yeah, it was, it was queer coded. And I, I always sort of use that in a certain way, I think even subliminally as a model for the music that I put out. I'm always very, in a lot of ways, just trying to make these things like very accessible and making these sort of ideas, Mm -hmm. these feelings very accessible to reach people that, that may not necessarily, you know, make it easy for people to grab onto that might necessarily not agree with everything I believe that might not necessarily know about, you know, what a lot of us are about and sex, drugs and rock and roll (laughs) (laughs) sex, drugs and fisting. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I just found, Oh, by the way, I just found, I was just in the scissor sisters storage. Me and baby daddy went in and, and like North Mm -hmm. Hollywood, we've got a storage unit and we were just like digging around. It was just like memory lane it was just such a disaster i was going in just looking for i was like i want an analog keyboard you know i know we've got i mean it was just like packed to the, i'm like someone like after we pass away someone's gonna have to go through all this because i don't see us ever like <laughs> digging back through this but i did find someone can like open a shop in, on hollywood boulevard of like scissor sisters archive the, like absolutely I, someday that's gonna yeah. someone it's something like that's gonna happen i i found our uh 2010 scissor sisters fisting t-shirts that were there's about there's about 300 made for like a secret concert and they're really what, cool what, describe the imagery you had the like you had the like top of the scissors upside down so it made kind of like yeah. like a butt and then we had a like a like a hand coming up with just like goo just like dripping off of it like, you're like in one in one sentence, you say to me, "I just, you know, I want to make these ideas really accessible <laughs> to straight audiences." Yeah, no, but that was, but that that particular thing was, um, you know, that was just at a tiny little. We just made those for like just to be silly and fun, and what, we weren't selling those at arenas. <laughs> right? Is that because? Is there a song on Nightwork about fisting, or was that a joke? Uh, there's no. There's a song about. Uh, I mean, I think it implies that, yeah, it's uh, that song, it's called Harder You Get, and it was my homage to a song by the Scat Brothers called Walk the Night that is, like, one okay. of the most, like, sinister, gay, uh, sexual <laughs> yeah. disco anthems. Like, it really is, like, straight up, like, evil fisting music. Like, in the, you know, it's just got yeah. this real, like, sinister edge. So that was my homage to uh, Walk the Night. I got wanted it. to make my own, like, Walk the Night. I think I must have seen some, like, I must have seen an interview or something at the time that album came out, and maybe Anna said it. I don't even know, but it definitely stuck in my head that there was a song about fisting on the album, and I could tell, like, it was kind of said a bit tongue-in-cheek, and so I was never really sure if it was a joke or not. And I always assumed it was the A Whole New Way 
song. Oh, I think that song's just Which about butt fucking. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> More straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's a lovely detour from the B-52s. I think it's actually a natural path to go from the B-52s to, to, to hardcore gay sex. Yeah, just, That's just totally. what happens when you start talking about the B-52s. Um, so you are a, like a young kid in Arizona. You've discovered this this band that's kind of exploded your mind a bit um yeah what's what's school like how are you how are you coping with your latent queerness and like understanding that well you know i was like hitting puberty and uh you know was kind of there and you know like a real horny 12 13 year old um i don't know it was weird i wasn't too worried about it i guess at the time um I had, there was this really hot guy uh, in my class that was like, I think he was like kind of two years older than everybody else. He'd gotten held back a couple grades and was just like made me salivate. And somehow we just totally started hooking up and like had like a, like a fun outlet. <laughs> but like wow. when I was in like seventh and eighth grade and it was like, it was pretty, it was pretty great because I was just like, it m- helped me sort of realize like that I that th- I, I like this like this is definitely what I'm into when I got to ninth grade and went on a date with uh I, I like we had sort of a promy kind of dance it was a it was a small school on the, on the island when we were back up in the northwest and like you know my I, I had a girlfriend for a minute and she like gave me a BJ and I uh, just uh I got up the next morning I I I vomited and I, <laughs> I was so upset and I felt like my mom or my sister had just gone down on me. Like, that's what it felt like. <laughs> it just like I, and this is no, you know, it, it's just how it was just my reaction to it. And I was just like, yeah, it's just- I knew I was like, I don't like that. Like at all. <laughs> when I had JD Sampson on the podcast last season, um, they, we're telling a story, but they they kissed their best friend when they were 16 or something because they had a big crush on them. And as soon as she finished kissing her, her best friend threw up. So it was like that, the exact oh, opposite, yeah, but same yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. But you had a violent reaction to heterosexuality, which I love. I, did, that, I wish I of. didn't. I wish <laughs> I, I really, if, if I had one thing to kind of wish in my life would be uh to to ha- you know to have like a sexual attraction you know to not only to not only men uh would be really great yeah. it would be really fun and um yeah that's like kind of i i get a little like sort of mm, it's really too bad cuz there's a lot of hot other folks that aren't you know men totally you know? i totally agree with you i've never had um a relationship with women like I was basically a hermit until I was 18 and then and then it was like pretty clear to me where that was all going so yeah and I do regret that because but you know we can't we can't change how we're wired no 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 and I'm 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 happy you know I can't complain too much I've had lots of great Mm -hmm. great times great sex great flirting over the years (laughs) (laughs) the alternate title for your autobiography (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, 
Okay, well, let's move on to your second item. Yeah. Person. So up next, you've got your person, which is Sandra Bernhardt. Yeah. Um, so around this time, I remember we were, you know, in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, we actually, like, back then, this is, like, 1990. Uh, we had just mm-hmm. dollar theaters, right? So, like, it cost a dollar to, you know, go see a second-run movie. So my mom took me to see a movie that had really just notoriously flopped that year, uh, starring Bruce Willis called Hudson Hawk. That was an action comedy uh, <laughs> that, um, that, yeah, it just, it tanked. Critics hated it. It's like a notorious big, it's one of like the big budget flops of the world. It's like a Water World or a Ishtar okay. or something, you know. Um, and Sandra Bernhard played the villain. Um, and ah! I, it was the first time I ever laid eyes on her and was just instantly obsessed. Her aesthetic, her look, uh, her voice, that face, you know, those lips, you know, she's like, <laughs> she, she's like a mix between, you know, she's got so much like Mick Jagger in her and yeah. it, she's like walking sass. Walking sass. Yeah, she's like a Muppet. You know what I mean? And just like, yeah. and brilliant. And just her performance in this movie like blew my mind. And I walked out of the theater with my mom and I said to her, I said, when I get, uh, when I grow up, I want to marry a woman like that someday. <laughs> <laughs> just like more like more, more signs that your 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 child is gay if they're telling you you know they want to marry Sandra yeah <laughs> and um I you know I couldn't stop thinking about her and I subscribed to Entertainment Weekly at the time which I loved I was like a religious re- reader of Entertainment Weekly and I still have all of them I've saved like every magazine I've got like crazy archives like I've Saved everything. They're all like wrapped in plastic. Like it's a little bit bonkers, but it's fun to go sift through. But uh, that year yeah. or the next year, uh, they you know they do their end of the year list. You know their their ten best movies, ten worst movies, or whatever. And the number one worst movie uh, of that year, they had picked Sandra Bernhard's "Without You, I'm Nothing," which is a which is a one woman performance, kind of half concert film, like a fake concert film. And of course, when I read that that was like, you know, that, that 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 she was starring in what they said to be the worst movie of the year, I was like, I have, you know, I've got to see this as soon as I can. But it wasn't the easiest movie to find. So finally, mm. when I was fifteen, uh, I got my hands on a VHS copy of it. And when I watched that, um, it really, I felt some, like I was discovering something about myself. Um, through just her humor and her performance. And the movie is so mysterious and, like, layered. And the whole thing, I mean, she... I, I This might offend people for saying this, but I'm just going to say it. She's a faggot. She's, like, the ultimate fag. <laughs> she, she really is. There's nobody more faggoty than Sandra Bernhardt. <laughs> and so, like, I just completely fell in love and like there's there's so much queer humor 
in that movie and in those monologues, and they're so layered that I still am discovering punchlines that I never understood. And the first time I saw it, I didn't understand anything. I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't know what the references were. Uh, you know, it just all went over my head. Um, you know, and still, like, on my 25th viewing of it now, it's like I'm st- I still pick up new stuff from it. And then I went on to, like, uh, to find her concerts and go see her in concert and uh was just really i would be waiting outside dumpsters in the back of like theaters like just to like get my pic- there's pictures of like me like you know and her like when i'm like 16 oh and uh and yeah i just you know was an obsessed fan when i got to new york i ended up my friend was like work she was doing a little radio thing for Sirius a long time ago and I got to go in and, and, you know, meet her. And then I, you know, was, we worked out at the same time every day at Crunch um, in New York. And she was always just kind of around, but she would pay me no mind. She wanted, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like she did not see me. She was just like, you know, whatever, kid. Which only made you want Oh, my more. God, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, finally for her to get on stage with us and, like, perform – and become a friend was was a real uh, powerful thing for you for me. You know, she she really is like someone I'm just uh, that I love to know, and it always blows my mind. You know, going onto her radio show sometimes on Sirius or whatever, just throwing texts back and forth. She loves to read books. You know, going out to lunch every once in a while. It, it uh, I just I love her so much. When I got into Kinky Boots. Um, I, you know, she was the photo sort of above, you know, that I had on my mirror, um, just of, of her. Wow. And I think she's brilliant. You spent decades manifesting that. Yeah. Yeah. And she's still, uh, you know, when I go see her play, um, you know, there have been shows that literally I thought someone was going to have to call an ambulance on me. Like when she starts riffing and just like going for it and just like reading things and like i mean she puts me on like where i can't i'm like on the ground like it hurts i love it i love nothing more than to laugh you know i do love some mean ass humor um yeah yeah and she's she's got it in spades (laughs) yeah my intro to her was definitely was madonna's truth or dare i think that's when i became aware of her and yeah she's just in full boss mode she's like is completely unfazed that she's in this documentary. She's just talking about the the women that she's fucking, but doesn't really, she's not really particularly interested in. And just, just, yeah, she's just very, she radiates power in this way that I guess Madonna also Mm -hmm. does. And it's just watching the two of them sit and have a chat together is kind of, like if I was in that room, I would be crushed like a bug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. The sheer force of of both of them, and it was yeah. also fun because you know, yeah, Truth or Dare came out around that time, and then like it was, I was so obsessed with her. It was it was fun to like, you know, my parents just thought she was the awful. They just thought she was just like mm. the worst. Like she was really reviled <laughs> by so many people. Like people really like mm. hated her. You know. And so it was just kind mm-hmm. of fun to just, like, rile my parents up a little bit, you know? They weren't, like, they weren't thrilled that I was just, like, super into Sandra Bernhardt, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you shown, Sandra, any of the photos of you, like, as a 
younger, like oh, waiting yeah. for her yeah. outside the dumpsters. Yeah. yeah. And, like, <laughs> what does she think of all of that? I think she thinks it's really sweet. And it's, it's also fun just because, you know, she's watched me turn into the person that I've become. So I think that's, that's satisfying. Uh, it's satisfying to see something like that happen. Say if you're a, a performer mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, like a kid that's obsessed with you, you never know, you never know what you're, you know, you never know how you're going to influence people. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had that moment yourself where like there's been a full 360 of like, you've had a long enough career now that there probably are people. That I've have... watched kids. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched people grow up, you know, I've watched there's, I've, I've become, you know, connected with a lot of people I've met over the years and a lot of fans over the years. And, uh, I've kind of made myself really accessible and it's been, it's been awesome. And, you know, thinking about all the queer kids, you know, messaging me and sending me letters or just, you know, wanting, you know, some kind of an affirmation or wanting advice or, uh, whatnot. It's always, I've always found that that's a really, you know, I feel very privileged to be in that position and it's, Hmm. it's, it's an honor to get to, to get to like, you know, help with that. I'm sure you experience that a lot too. Yeah. To a degree for sure. I, um, yeah, it, it is funny how you can like life can take you in circles and like back to where you started with the same people. Um, and I think that's just a lovely, lovely story of you with San- and Sandra. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, there's a mini version of that happening right now because I can think of like one of my, my most memorable concerts is being at a Scissor Sisters concert. And now here, here we, we are, are having a chat. <laughs> so there you go. Let's move on to your next item. Yeah. Film or TV series? So up next, we've got your movie, which is Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch, directed by the brilliant David Cronenberg. Do you know this movie at all? Mm-hmm. I have obviously yeah. heard of it and the book and Burroughs, but um, I haven't seen it. So I'm looking forward to hearing well, about I it. Well, I started to like find like art house cinema basically like around the time that I was like discovering that I was gay and, and uh, you know, started uh, tracking down very left or center movies and stuff. And, you know, I was, I was really into kind of creepy stuff. So I love that David Cronenberg directed The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, which is a really terrifying mm-hmm. movie. And I just, you know, I always kind of followed everything that was coming out. And uh, Naked Lunch was playing at a theater way out in Tempe. Um, and I loved the artwork for it. And I'd read a little bit about William Burroughs. And um, I just felt really drawn to see it. So I took Lisa Gravel from my eighth grade class. You know, these are all like, these are all Christians, you know, like these are all pretty like, (laughs) you know, uh, and my art teacher took us and dropped us off and went and saw driving Miss Daisy, uh, while while we were in naked lunch. And, um, that's, that is full role reversal. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, you know, the movie stars, uh, Peter Weller, uh, Judy Davis, um, and is kind of a, a sort of dreamlike homo heroine 
bug horror fantasy epic and i didn't it it it, uh you know it was the first like queer shit i'd ever seen on a on a big screen and just like all these like gay undertones in it and you know it features like there's uh one of the characters in the movie is a is a typewriter uh bug with a giant talking butthole that um that he keeps having to rub uh, like this like bug powder on the lips of the butthole um, to like keep oh keep gosh. writing, and so it's like literally like people turning into like creatures, and it is you know the mugworms. They've got these like dicks coming off their heads, and they like squirt all this like cum out, and people are like drinking their cum. It's like fucking <laughs> fucking. T- like so, needless to say, like my mind was blown. Like, what did Lisa think? We were was we, that her yeah, name, Lisa? Lisa Gavel. We were shell shocked. <laughs> like we walked out of. The, I will never forget walking out of that movie and just being like, "What the fuck did we just see?" And of course, I was like, really, like, wow. And I think she was like, wow. And I got in so much trouble. She went to her youth group and told her that I. Told told them that I took her to this uh, to to see to cum see cumbugs and you know ju- junky typewriter buttholes uh, <laughs> um, and it's 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 to this day it's one of my one of my favorites and it also you know it just really helped form my aesthetic I'm into I I can show you this room that I'm in I mean I'm in a, in a big library I'm obsessed with books. And um, I'm into super dark stuff. I love horror, um, you know, and it really sort of sums up kind of one of the pathways uh, just, you know, uh, in my own life that I sort of like followed as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, things that I love and things that I get into. But I love that that movie was a real, uh, it was sort of a, a meeting of those things. You know, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Where queerness meets. Definitely. Horror, I I feel like is often a little bit queer. I'm not a huge horror fan, but like I every I feel like every horror movie there's always like they never shy away from like the hunk getting fully sexualized oh, yeah. before he's murdered. Uh like I like that there's like queer undertones to horror and it's it seems like it's pretty common in the Yeah, and I think trope. that I I think that there's um, a real strong queer connection to horror because like when, you know, when have we not sometimes felt like Felt like a monster, um, yeah, or a bug, or a bug. with a hungry butthole. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry. Oh, I don't know where to, I don't know where to take that. I, I... <laughs> oh my god! Nice. So. This is all kind of happening at the same time, but maybe like help me weave the narrative of your life. So you're, um, you're in your teens. Have you come uh, out? No, I mean point? I I uh, no, I wasn't out yet. I went back to the island for my ninth grade year, um, and was living there doing theater, and it was just so small. I mean, I I, I we moved there when I was like five or six. I um, the island had like three thousand residents on it. It was tiny. It was, you know, it was a two-hour ferry ride, an hour and a half drive to Seattle. 
I was getting super into music. Wow. I needed to go to concerts. Um, I was just, I had to get off of there. And so my art teacher who uh, taught me at the Christian junior high, the one that went to go see Driving Miss Daisy, she and her husband came up to visit my family. We were super good friends. She'd stay at my house, you know, when my parents were out of town and whatnot. And they came up and I was basically like, it was summertime and I was like, get me out of here. Like, just please talk my parents into letting me leave with you. And so she became my legal guardian, and I moved off the island and back down to Arizona. Um, and, you know, she was like my wow. sister, you know. We were really close, and she had a lovely husband. And um, so, yeah, so then I was 15 and started going to a public school down there, a big public school. And that's when I uh, – that's when I came out, you know, at least at school. I mean, I came out of school and it was insane. It was the dumbest thing I've ever fucking done in my life. Um, and this is in like 1992, mm. 93. Yeah, like a big public school in Arizona sounds in some ways a lot scarier than like a West Coast island. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, I w and I was just being yeah. hostile about it. I was refusing to like blend in. I was just being very like mm -hmm. aggressively aggressively me like to the you know to the 15th degree and I was away from my parents and I and I was I was a really good kid but I was also had figured out how to kind of get away with murder and you know there's those dance clubs at the time like in Phoenix that like I don't know how the fuck I was in there I guess after like two in the morning when they stopped serving booze they would like basically let kids in um so you know I'd be like in downtown Phoenix at three in the morning like partying you know, in a gay bar. My first wow. gay bar was called Preston's. And uh, what an ick name, too. <laughs> Preston's. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I'm, I, 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 I'm so thankful for it. And I'm also thankful for the fact that I never got into any trouble. All my friends were tweakers. And no one ever offered me drugs. Um. You know, I had tried weed, but it was just like I wasn't I wasn't compelled to do drugs with everybody, um, which really kept me, you know, level head. I never got into into trouble there. I had never got, you know, taken advantage of by anybody, which totally could have happened. Like I was 15 running around mm. with like there's all kinds of people around, you know, it was a lot of unsavory folk. Sounds like you had a. A pretty mature approach to it all, despite the fact that you're probably in over your head without realizing it. I was also keeping a secret from my guardian and my parents. So I was out at right. school until, like, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't trickling back to them. I see. I see. Yeah, living a secret life, but a big secret life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were at Preston's till three in the morning. Um, <laughs> what do you think compelled you to, like, to be so visibly out at that age and like it sounds like you maybe didn't have a choice but what was that like uh it was cool it, yeah it was fine i just like i just wanted to be i just wanted to be me i couldn't contain it and and music was such a part of that mm. music was such a part of that and just all the bit this is pre-nirvana so it's just like alternative music at that point was just amazing you know, it was like Seizing the mm -hmm. Banshees and Chili Peppers and Front 242 mm -hmm. and Nine Inch Nails and like, you know, so kind of being into all this music and going to getting to go see live concerts and like just like loving all these styles. And like it was it was uh, I, I 
I wanted to be loud and proud. Um, mm. But you know, to my detriment, I mean, it, and, it did make life a little bit hairy for me at the time. Do you regret it? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a weird. That's kind of a weird question. It's not no. like I don't mean like that. But like, would you do it differently? I, would, I, I think. I don't know. Probably not. I'm because it's so much of it like really formed who I, you know, who I am. And also by the time I was 18, you know, by the time I was going to college, I'd been out for like years. And so it really like helped me kind of yeah. get, a, I felt adjusted, uh, so much sooner, you know, which was frustrating because I was 18 years yeah. old, um, you know, in 1997 and, uh, couldn't find anybody to date. I just wanted to like date guys, and I. It was hard because I couldn't go into bars necessarily, not until I found my fake ID. But um, but you know, it just wasn't. I was frustrated because I was just like, I want a boyfriend. Like I want to be dating dating guys, and there just weren't any guys my age that I could find that uh, that weren't kind of going through that transitional process themselves. You know, that I went through. You know, a few years yeah. earlier. I think a lot of for a lot of queer people, I, uh, it's definitely people my age, I feel like the, the queer stuff kind of got delayed and it's almost like um, like s- sex happened later. Like you kind of, because you don't have the, the outlets and the access at, at the same time as your peers, like a lot of people kind of put that stuff on hold until maybe after high school or until they can like find more like-minded people. It's just interesting that you kind of had a bit of a, I guess a bit of a jump on that. Um, Yeah. And yeah, probably like to your success in the long run, but yeah, I'm sure it wasn't easy at the time. I had an ex who was really out in high school and I just never understood that. I couldn't relate because I was so, I was trying so hard to like Mm -hmm. hide Mm -hmm. at that time. And, um, you know, I wasn't even worried about like trying to figure myself out or like be like, you need to know who I am. Cause I didn't know who I was. All I was trying to do was be like, just don't, yeah. don't notice me, yeah. you know? So that's it. Like a one, I think that's an incredibly inspiring way to be. I'm sure, I'm sure there were kids at that school who were also like inspired I by you. So. I, I, yeah. I hope so. You know, I've still gotten every once in a while, like I'll get a message from somebody I didn't know at that school. You know, wanting to like mm. say that, you know, say I have gotten messages from people back yeah, then. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I was very, very, very visible. Um, but, you know, I'm also part of my personality is I love attention. I love attention and. Right. <laughs> and always have. And God, I mean, God knows, like, I've gotten plenty of it. And as the years go on, it's very, I've like really learned how to like temper that. And it's. It's it's definitely quieted down for me as far as like attention that I want to receive, you know. Um, right. Which yeah. yeah. But I still do. I still do like a little bit of attention every now and then. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, you're talking to a drag <laughs> <Exactly>. queen. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to your next item. Wow. So up next, it's your wild card, which is Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City series. Yeah, and it's I wanted to talk about it just because, and it's it's a story that I've that I've told before, but now there's like a there's now there's a postscript to it that I haven't talked about. Um, 
You know, when I was on the island, it was that summer that I was getting ready to – the summer before my parents let me go back down to Arizona with my art teacher. Um, there are these two gay guys that lived on the island, um, Sean and Larry. And Sean worked mm-hmm. at the gas station slash uh, uh, mo- movie rental place. There was like a movie rental gas station, mm-hmm. which was like the hangout. Um, anyways, but Sean, mm-hmm. Sean worked the counter there and was just super cool. We became friends and, uh, they lived, they lived in town. Uh, Larry was very cool. He had, uh, he had pretty, um, you know, uh, progress, like he, he had AIDS for, had had AIDS for a long time and, um, and it was, uh, mm-hmm. it had really progressed. And so he was kind of living out, you know, the sort of those last years of his life, he wanted to be in a beautiful place. And, um, anyways, they become great friends of mine. I think they saw that I was gay. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, they turned me on to a lot of great music and, uh, and Sean gave me a copy of tales of the city. Um, and I devoured it. I loved it. And it was sort of the first yeah. thing that I had read like that, that, I really connected with and connected with these characters. And, um, you know, I went on to create the Tales of the City musical uh, that, that's about to have its 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, you know, it ran in, uh, went up at ACT in San Francisco for a whole summer. And it's something that I'm, that I'm really, really proud of. And, uh, you know, I, I just – I love this story because it's like with kids and teenagers and, you know – you never know how you're going to affect a younger person by just giving mm-hmm. them something as simple as a book. And to go on, you know, and I'd lost mm. touch with them, and I had heard that Larry had died, and I totally lost touch with them. And, um, you know, I always, like, broke my heart just thinking about Sean and, and, and thinking, like, how he'd never know that, like, you know, how much that that had influenced me and how – you know, what I ended up going on to do with this, you know, this intellectual mm-hmm. property, with this book. Um, yeah. And anyways, I had I'd, I'd said the story to a magazine, and um, and just recently, I, I, he, Sean contacted me. He uh, had, his friends had, like, given him an old magazine of me talking about him and Larry. And uh, so he he found me and uh we, we got on the phone and talked for like three hours and just like you know it was really we cried a lot um it was sweet and and so i don't know it's got a really happy ending like that larry is gone uh from us now but uh you know you just never know what how you're going to influence somebody you never know what you say to somebody is going to really stick with them and i always really try to keep that in mind yeah you know and it was just very influential I love that story. Thank you. And yeah, Tales of the City, again, something that I discovered much later in life, but um, I was blown away. My real, the thing about Tales of the City that like blew my mind was how modern it felt because I guess it was all taking place in a pre-AIDS world. It's all set in a pre-HIV AIDS world. So there's just like this incredible sexual liberation and I was... Yeah, it was written in a pre-AIDS world. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just completely shocked by how... by what it was like and how it just... like how it kind of felt 
modern in that way. Like I was like, oh, I thought I thought maybe our generation invented gay sex, but obviously not. Like that's kind of the naive approach I I had with the books, and um, yeah, they're just so amazingly queer. It's really fantastic. Let's move on to your last item. I hope that we're still going. We seem to be encountering some internet difficulties in my lovely Northern Ontario hotel. Um, so, Jake, I think we should wrap it up there. I'm sorry we don't get to go to your last item, but I really appreciate all of your time and lovely anecdotes today. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, Crystal. Thank you for having me. It's been really lovely. It's been a nice, it's been a great interview. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope that um, your travels to Iceland go amazingly, and I cannot wait to hear the next album. Cool, yeah. New, uh, I'm putting out a song June 11th, so new stuff soon. Can't wait to play it for you. All right, have a great evening. You too. Best of luck. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you to Jake Shears for bearing with my technical difficulties, and thank you to you for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. Um, I hope you enjoyed as always, and if you did, please go share the word, leave a review, pass a note, or... I don't know, whisper to a fellow queer on the street. (laughs) Honestly, everything you can do helps so much. Please also let me know what you thought of the episode. I'd love to share some feedback from you on a future episode. And please also tweet me with some of the things that made you queer using the hashtag, the things that made me queer. And I will also share those on a future episode. Thank you again for listening. And until next week, I've been Crystal. Stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Oh, and queer. Our theme song is Something Like Summer by Caveboy. Go check out more from Caveboy and the lead singer's new project under the name Mint Simon for lots more queer bops. The Things That Made Me Queer is a World of Wonder production. <laughs>